right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible with you this morning, good. Galatians chapter 5 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one from the pew rack in front of you. Turn to Galatians 5 so we can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week, we continued to explore the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, actually, Paul commanded us to walk by the spirit and promised that in so doing, we would not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then, two weeks ago, we saw this sketch of what life that is ruled, dominated, or governed by the flesh looks like as Paul outlined the deeds of the flesh. And then last week, we saw the opposite side of that coin, that conflict, with the outline of the fruit of the Spirit. We tried to look closely last week at each aspect of the fruit, the singular fruit of the Spirit, and then we saw how Jesus perfectly demonstrated all of these things to us and for us. For application, we said basically two things. First, if you are in Christ, this is the fruit you will bear. If you are in Christ, your life will be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The question is, is that what your life looks like? Is your life marked by those things in a regular demonstration? And is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Is there greater patience now? Is there greater love now than yesterday or 10 years ago? We want that fruit to be growing in our lives. Secondly, we said, if you are in Christ, then bear this fruit in an active way, in an imperative way. Bear this fruit. Put these things on. By the Spirit, live out love, joy, peace, patience. Pursue these things in your pursuit of Christ-likeness. In your pursuit of growing in Christ-likeness, pursue growth in love and joy and peace and so on. We want to be growing always in these areas. Well, this week what we're going to do in the text in Galatians chapter 5 is zoom out a little bit, so to speak, to see some principles of application. What should we do about all of this? It's one thing to know a thing or two about these matters. In, in, for instance, it's one thing to know that fruit in the text in Galatians chapter 5 is singular. Like it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one thing to know a thing or two about all of this. It's a far different thing to act on these things. For these truths to change our lives. I want us, before we even dive into the text, before we pray, to consider what God says in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. This is what God's word says. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful this morning for your word. Thankful for time to study it together in this place. We're thankful for the spirit who shines light on the page and light in our hearts. The Spirit who opens our eyes and ears so that we may see and hear. The Spirit who reminds us of things we have already been taught. As we study today, we pray that you will make us into effectual doers 
of your word and not forgetful hearers. That you would be honored not in our intellectual understanding, but in our practical living. We want to see the flesh crucified. And we want to walk in step with the Spirit. I pray that you will bring these things to pass by your grace, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So with that in mind about being effectual doers and not forgetful hearers, let's engage God's Word starting in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Today we're going to study closely verses 24, 25, and 26. Uh, but I want you to see all of this context because it's one big idea. This is what God's Word says. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. We'll deal with this text today in three parts, the three verses, 24, 25, and 26. I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of heads up of where we're going. Verse 26, I think, is transitional, making the move from what we've seen about deeds of the flesh and through the Spirit generally to a more specific application of that collectively in the community. And so we'll treat verse 26 at the end of the day today, but we'll do that briefly, and then we'll pick back up there next week. So I think, bottom line is, I think it's a bad chapter break at Galatians chapter 6. I think it would be better to break chapter chapter six off, chapter 5 off at verse 25 instead of leaving verse 26 there. But let's deal with verse 24 first. He says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now at first reading of this verse... It may remind us of something Paul has already said in this letter, something that was part of our Sunday school lesson last weekend when we gathered together in small groups. Go back to Galatians 2.20 and remember a similar phrase that Paul used when he said, chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And as we read verse 24 in chapter 5, it may also th cause us to think about something Paul said in Romans chapter 6. In fact, in many ways, Romans chapter 6 
all of Romans serves as commentary on Galatians. It's an expanded view of what we're seeing here in Galatians. But look at Romans chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can, or it's on the screen, starting in verse 3. Again, looking for this idea of I've been crucified with Christ. God's word says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, these two passages in Galatians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 6 are important for our understanding of verse 24 in chapter 5. But their importance is limited, I believe, to the first part of verse 24 and not the second part of verse 24. In other words, I believe that Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6.6 describe for us what it means to belong to Christ Jesus. These are a reference to a person's conversion experience to the reality of their position as belonging to Jesus by grace through faith. And what is significant and leads us to to believe that is the voice of the verbs in in Galatians 2 and Romans chapter 6. The voice of the verbs there are passive, not active. They are passive voice verbs. In other words, these are referring to something that happens to you, not something that you do. Passive verbs are when something is done to you. I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, My old self was crucified with Christ. Passive voice, something that happens to you, whereas active voice verbs are something you do actively yourself. Does that make sense? And the verbs in Galatians 2 and Romans 6 are passive voice. In other words, you cannot justify yourself. You cannot convert yourself. You cannot produce life in your dead heart. You cannot take out your own heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. This is something that happens to you by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So I think that those passages in Galatians 2 and Romans 6 are referring to what it looks like to be converted, to be justified. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified with Christ. The old self has been, right? This is what we're talking about here because it is something that happens to you. But Galatians 5.24 is talking about something different. It's different than being united with Christ by faith and identified with his resurrection, I mean his crucifixion, his death to sin, and his subsequent resurrection. In chapter 5, verse 24 of Galatians, the verb is in the active voice. In other words, this crucifixion is a crucifixion that we perform. It's not something that happens to us from the outside. It's something that we do ourselves. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, to link the two, one of my friends wisely said, it is only those who have been crucified with Christ who can crucify the flesh. Like in this text, we are called to crucify the flesh, but it's only those who have been crucified with Christ who can crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. So the two questions that we need to ask ourselves are, number one, have I been crucified in the passive voice? Have I been crucified with Christ? Am I united with him 
by faith in his death and his resurrection. The second question that flows out of that is, am I crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires as one who has been crucified? So so what we're looking at here, it's hard for us to see sometimes. Because when we talk about crucifixion, especially in these four walls, we immediately think exclusively about Jesus on the cross. And I want to encourage you, as hard as it is to do, not to think in chapter 5, verse 24 of Galatians, of atoning sacrifice. I I want you to think in chapter 5, verse 24, not primarily of Jesus' crucifixion. Like you, You may never hear me say that again. I don't want you to think primarily about Jesus' crucifixion here in chapter 5, verse 24. You need to be aware that thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people were crucified at the hands of the Romans. It was a form of execution that was as common as it was brutal. Many people died on crosses. We're not usually aware of that. Jesus was not the only guy to die on a cross. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died on crosses at the hands of Romans. Only one was the perfect Lamb of God who died for our sins, right? Only one made atonement for our sins. That's Jesus. His crucifixion is unlike all the others. But if we were talking to first century Gentiles about crucifixion, they wouldn't only be thinking about Jesus on the cross like you are only thinking about Jesus on the cross. They would have recognized crucifixion as a form of execution. And I want us, for today, to primarily think of it that way as it relates to the text in Galatians 5.24. So when we read about us having crucified our flesh here in the text... Let's think about crucifixion primarily as execution. That's what we do with the old man. That's what we do to the flesh. At the beginning of our walk with Jesus Christ, our walk of faith with Jesus Christ, at the very beginning, we nail that old man to the cross and we leave him there to die. We nail the flesh to the cross and we leave him there to die. That's what the initial act of repentance looks like, and that's what our continued acts of repentance look like as we leave him there to die. So at conversion, old Chris gets nailed to the cross, and he is left there to die. And every day, as I walk a lifestyle of repentance, I look to that flesh hanging on the cross, and I leave him there to die the ugly death of crucifixion. And crucifixion is a good picture of our attitude and posture toward that old man. Toward the flesh. Crucifixion had no pity. Crucifixion was ruthless. And we must be ruthless toward the old man. That old flesh, the old Chris who was nailed to the cross at my conversion. I shouldn't baby him. I shouldn't go up to him and say, Ooh, that looks like it hurts, old Chris. Maybe I'll I'll pull those nails out and bring you down for a while and take you home and nurse you back to health so that you can live a vibrant and active life. No, crucifixion is pitiless. It is ruthless. And that's the posture that I must have toward my flesh. Hang him on the cross and leave him there to die. That's what I want to see happen to the flesh, the old man, gone and done and dead. 
Crucifixion is a good picture because it's painful. Crucifixion is a good picture of all this because it is painful. That's the old me on the cross. But it's me. It's the old Chris. But it's Chris on that cross dying. We saw in the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday night, Jesus talking about gouging out eyes and cutting off hands in our fight against sin. And if we do that, it'll hurt. But it will be totally worth it. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it is better to go to heaven with one eye than to hell with two eyes. It is better to go to heaven with one hand or no hands than to go to, heaven with, or to, go to hell with both of your hands. Thirdly, Crucifixion is an important picture because it is a slow but certain death. John Stott says this. He says, death by crucifixion was a lingering death, but it was a certain death. People who were crucified hung there for hours, sometimes days, suffering, suffering, suffering. But you know what happened to every one of them? They died. That's why they were crucified was to kill them. It was a form of execution, but it was not a fast form of execution. It was not a quick lights out and it's over. No, it was a lingering, suffering, agonizing, demoralizing, embarrassing way to die. John Brown says about our crucifixion of the flesh, he says, crucifixion produced death, not suddenly, but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, that is the flesh, while here below. But they have fixed it to the cross, and they are determined to keep it there until it expired. So this is what I want us to think about when we think about this text, is, is the old man on the cross dying, and we want to leave him there to die. So don't think Jesus on the cross, when we're talking about crucifixion in Galatians chapter 5, think about Old Chris on a cross, or old Joe, or old whoever on a cross, not Jesus on the cross. We're talking about the execution of the old man, the execution, the death of the flesh. Here's the point. We who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. We have nailed the old self to the tree, and we must leave him there to die. We must not baby him. We must not take care of him. Rather, it would behoove us to go break his legs so that he will die. We don't want the old man to hang around. We don't want him to continue to cause trouble for us. We want the old man to die. And we who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the old man, the flesh, with its desires and passions. That should be our attitude and our posture. Death to the flesh. Death to the old man. Paul says a similar thing in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. He says, Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to be awakened from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in, regards to it, in regard to its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh. Put him on the cross and leave him on the cross to die. Don't baby the flesh anymore. Our posture to him should be one of crucifixion, not rehabilitation. We want, as those who belong to Jesus Christ, for the old man to be done away with. We long 
for the old man to be completely done away with. And one day that will happen. But for now, he has been nailed to the cross. Let's leave him on the cross. and Let's stop babying him and caring for him like we should nurse him back to health. Now this, verse 24, is the negative side of sanctification, the, the walk of faith, that where, whereby we become more and more, more and more identified with, more and more um, conformed to the image of Christ. The negative side of sanctification is the crucifixion of the flesh. There's a positive side of sanctification, and that's what he talks about in verse 25 when he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, once again, just like in verse 24, the first part of this verse has to do with conversion, has to do with justification. By the Spirit, we have been brought to life. We have life by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. This is what a lot of you saw in Sunday school today. Paul often invites the Galatian believers to reminisce about their conversion experience, and he asks them, how did it happen? How exactly did you come to life? And I want to ask you that question. How did it happen? How did you come to life? Was it by works of your flesh? Or was it by the work, the power of the Spirit? Well, it was by the Spirit, of course, right? It was by the Spirit that you were brought to life. It was not by your own strength. You didn't have any strength. You were dead. The Spirit has brought you to life. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit should also walk by the Spirit. So the first part, if we live by the Spirit, that's about our conversion, particularly about justification, regeneration. And here, when we talk about walking by the Spirit, it's talking about our sanctification, our growth in Christ-likeness. And you won't hear me say this very often, but I am super disappointed with New American Standard translation in, in this verse. In verse 25, when it says, let us also walk by the Spirit, they drop the ball a little bit. Not that the word walk there cannot or should not ever be translated simply as walk, but it's a different word than what Paul used for walk back in verse 16. Look at it in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And now here in verse 25, he says, let us also walk by the Spirit. Those are two different words. Two different words. And when two different words uh, that can be translated the same are used that close to each other, probably we should be looking for the difference. And the word in verse 16, the word in verse 16 is the most general word for walk. It's just like strolling around. It's just living. It's this pattern of behavior, this walk of your life. But in verse 25, it's a more precise word. It has a more vivid picture with it. It's got more detail. It means to follow. To shadow someone else. You remember the old game, follow the leader? Like we would play this in, in school, right? Some guy would get out in front and he would walk around and we would follow him. Wherever he went, we would follow him, right? And we wouldn't just follow him in where he was going. We would follow him in how he was going there, right? If that guy in the front started hopping on one foot, what would the rest of us do? We'd follow along and hop on one foot, right? If he held his hands out like an airplane and started flying around, what would we do? Was I the only one that played this game? We did this, right? Follow the leader. That's the picture here. It's not a general walking that's going on here. So the translations that render it keep in step with the Spirit, nail it. That's better. And a lot of translations do that. That's a better translation than just walk. It is keeping in step with the Spirit. And He is the leader. 
We follow him. So those who live by the Spirit, those who have been made alive by the Spirit, must also walk by the Spirit. We follow the Spirit as our leader. And this following is not passive. It's not as if we are dragged along by the Spirit. No, we are following His lead. We are marching in lockstep with Him, and we are marching. And as we march, we might sweat a little bit. And we might get tired a little bit because there is some energy being spent in the walking. We are not dragged along by the Spirit. Rather, we fall in line, lockstep with the Spirit. So you get the idea? Those who have, those who live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That begs a question. How do we know what the Spirit's doing? Like, how can I tell if the Spirit's got his arms out like an airplane? Or if the Spirit's hopping on one foot? How can I tell which direction the Spirit is going so that I can fall in step with him? So that I can keep in line? I want to give you a general answer and then a specific answer. General answer is through spiritual disciplines. Through the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. One of the ways you can know where the Spirit's going and how He's going there is by reading the Bible, taking in the Scriptures, by reading, by studying, by meditating, by memorizing God's Word. It's one of the ways we know where the Spirit's going because uh, the Spirit is God and God never changes, and so we can know Him by knowing the Word. We can pray. It's one of the ways we grow in our following the Spirit. We pray, we worship, we evangelize, we serve, we give, we fast. We exercise silence and solitude occasionally where we get off by ourselves and we simply be still and know that He is God. We look for Him. So in other words, if you want to play follow the leader with the Spirit, one of the ways you can know where He's going and how He's going is through personal spiritual disciplines and I'll just say it like this if this gathering is all the spiritual discipline you've got in your life you will not be able to follow the spirit you will not be able to walk in step with the spirit this is not enough to live on like really this is not enough spiritual intake to live on you might survive right you might be able to survive on one meal a week but not for long And you certainly won't be able to thrive on one meal a week. And I want you to thrive spiritually. In order to thrive spiritually, you're going to have to have some personal spiritual discipline. You're going to have to learn how to feed yourself a little bit. To read the Bible. Just a little bit. Just a little bit a day. And spend some time in prayer. And spend some time in private worship. So that when we have public worship, you're ready to go for that. It's one of the ways... We can keep in step by the Spirit. The other way is to be careful with our minds, what we focus on. Look at Colossians, actually turn to Colossians 3. This is so long I couldn't put it on the screen. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. It's just a few pages over. I don't, the, the little headings at the top of chapters or in the middle of paragraphs are not inspired, like that's not part of God's word, Um, but sometimes they're helpful to give us a big picture of what's going on, and and the little heading at the top of chapter 3 in Colossians in my Bible says, put on the new self, put on the new, this is what we're talking about, living in this new life, right, What's what's it look like, crucify the old self, put on the new self, crucify the old man with his passions and desires, and follow the spirit, this is what it looks like, 
Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside your old self with its evil practices. He's a little more bold in Galatians. He says, crucify it. Don't just lay it aside, crucify it. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. So... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord also forgave you, so you should also. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom and teaching, all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, through him, to God the Father. This is what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit, to fix our mind on things above to put off that old man, crucify that old man, and put on the new man, and walk, living, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. John Stott summarizes this whole section, this whole two-verse section when he says, As therefore we crucify the flesh, repudiating what we know to be wrong, so too we must also walk by the Spirit, setting ourselves to follow what we know to be right. We reject one path, to follow another. You see, in the walk of the Christian life, in the walk of sanctification, there is a negative element and a positive element always. There are some things that we must put away and some things that we must put on. There are some things that we must crucify and some things that we must cultivate, right? So, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. And then in verse 26 he says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, I told you at the beginning that this verse is transitional from the generalities of this flesh-spirit conflict to the practical realities of it, particularly in the community of faith. There's a connection here in verse 26, back with chapter 5, verse uh, 15. Look at chapter 5, verse 15, when he says, Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Bottom line is this, when we look at verse 15 and we look at verse 26, we see that the life of the flesh 
a life that is governed and dominated by the flesh will lead to dysfunction, disharmony, conflict, destruction, and death. That's what will happen. When we live by the Spirit, death and destruction is what will happen. But when we live by the flesh, whoa, whoa. Live by the flesh, death and destruction will happen. When we live by the Spirit, what will happen? Unity, peace, harmony, respect, and love. We'll talk more about that next week as we move into chapter 6 when he says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So for application today, three questions. Number one, do you belong to Jesus? Do you live by the Spirit? Again, remember, both verse 25 and 26 had two parts. Right, the, the conversion part and the sanctification part. Right, the, the come to belong to Jesus part and live by the Spirit part and the what that looks like as you live by the Spirit, as you walk by the Spirit. Right. So the question that we need to wrestle with first is do you belong to Jesus? Do you live by the Spirit? Have you been saved? Have you been converted? Bottom line is, are you a Christian? And if you are, hallelujah, praise the Lord for that. Like we give him credit for it and we rejoice over that. And if you are not, let me invite you today to trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Let me tell you today that we are all sinners. We are all sinners who have broken God's law and deserve only his wrath and judgment. And he will give it to us because he is just and righteous. But he is a God who is full of love and mercy as well. And he demonstrates that love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son to be the sacrifice for sinners like you and me. And Jesus died, not for things that he had done, but for things that I had done and things that you had done. He paid the price for us. He died. And then he rose again in victory over sin and death and the grave. And he offers us victory. He offers us reconciliation to God, forgiveness of our sins, and eternal life as a gift. A gift of grace that we receive by faith. Not by works of the law but by hearing with faith. That's what you saw in the text this morning, right? How, how did you receive the Spirit? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? By hearing with faith, of course. So maybe today is the day you hear with faith. You respond to the message of the gospel by repenting of sins and trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you're not a believer today, I would invite you to believe. In, I would beg you to believe in Jesus today. And if you are a believer, or at least claim to be, my question for you is, what's your posture toward that old man? Old Chris, old Joe, old Jared. What's your posture toward him? Do you want to take care of him and make sure he doesn't suffer too much? Are you glad that he is on a cross? Dying and will die. Are you looking forward to the day when he is completely done away with? What's your posture toward the old man? I fear that many of us baby him. Uh, as, as one of my brothers said, I fear that many of us have him tied to the cross and not nailed to the cross. We like to untie him occasionally, let him down and walk around with us for a while. Nail him to the cross. Break his legs by God's grace. What's your posture toward the flesh, toward the old man? And secondly, if you're a believer, are you walking in line with the Spirit? Are you living with personal spiritual discipline? Do you know where the Spirit's going and how He's going? And are you, are you glad to fall in line and just follow where He goes? Are you glad to sweat when He runs? 
Do you have to pick up the pace to keep up with him? Are you glad to do that? Or do you want to walk your own way? Choose your own path. Were any of you that kid that was like, I'm not following the leader. I'll be the leader. I'll play follow the leader as long as I'm the leader. I think I've got a kid like that. Let's play follow the leader. I'm the leader. I'm inviting you to play follow the leader. And let me tell you, you will never be the leader. Never. Spirit will be the leader. Are you following the leader? Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you for your word today. We don't want to be hearers only. We want to be doers. We want to crucify. The old man, that flesh, we want to crucify him. Leave him there to die. We long for the day when he will be completely done away with. We want to walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Follow the leader. We know that we cannot do this on our own. Pray that you will enable and empower crucifixion of the flesh, following of the Spirit. Teach us practically this week what that looks like. God, we want to pray for men and women and boys and girls who are here that don't belong to you, that don't live by the Spirit not been saved, they've not been converted, they are not Christians. I pray that you change that today, only you can. I pray that you open their eyes, open their hearts to receive the truth. Give them faith to believe in Christ. Give them repentance to turn away from sin. And do it not, not just for their good, but for your own sake, for your own name, as you are glorified in the salvation of sinners. In Christ's name we pray.